This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Dream it anyway. 
you so much, Celebration Singers. I, I love that song. And you know, I don't get the big head, but I love coming and worshiping God with you all. It is just the highlight of my week. And uh, thank God for the privilege because really, Sunday morning, we can come together, those of us that are recluses, those of us that are extroverts, those of us that are in between, those of us that are good, bad, ugly. We can come in the name of Jesus and just be part of the family of God. And I'm so glad you're here this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to deal with a question that I think at one time or another has been on the mind of almost everyone. At least if you've been loosely connected to church or more, um, you've probably had this on your mind at one time or another. We want to Deal with the question of what is the unpardonable sin. Now, because most of you are above average in your intelligence, uh, if I would ask that question, what is the unpardonable sin, most of you would be able to raise your hand and say, duh, that's an easy one. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And and you're right. That's what the Bible says. Uh, You get an A so far. But then I would like to ask you a follow-up question. If the unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what then is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And I would venture to say that on that question, very few, if any, hands would go up because most of us truthfully, honestly, realistically do not know what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. And and I was thinking about this. Since this sin, according to the Bible, is so serious that you can never, ever, 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 ever be forgiven, uh, don't you think we ought to have at least a working understanding of what the unpardonable sin is and, and what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? And really, there are two motivating factors in my speaking on this topic today. The first is that there probably are some people here today who have a very sensitive conscience and, and it may be overly sensitive. And at times you're almost haunted and, and you wonder if you might have already committed the unpardonable sin or, or you live in constant fear that you might accidentally commit it. If that's you, I want to talk to you. And, and I think you will find this message to be of tremendous encouragement to you. And that's my prayer. But the second reason that I feel I should talk to you about this is because the unpardonable sin is a very real sin, even even if we don't understand it. And so even though my approach will not be like some of the evangelists of old, that those of you that were raised in church, you know, you would have the revivals. And then when it came to that last weekend of revival on Friday night or Saturday night or sometimes Sunday night, the very last night of revival, the, 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 the preacher would just grab that sermon and he would scare you to death. And um, you would leave petrified. And, um, you know, if some of you have been around that, relax, that's not going to be my approach. However, there may be some people here that do need a warning. Some may be like the Pharisees that we're going to study today. The Pharisees had become very critical and cynical of sacred things. And so, just as Jesus issued them a warning about committing the unpardonable sin, a few people, I don't think there's a lot, but maybe a few people might also need that warning today. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. And I'll be reading right now from the New International Version, and I may jump to a couple of other translations, but the basis will be right here in NIV. Matthew 12, 31. You can follow along in your Bibles. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So what is the unpardonable sin? For us to fully understand it, we need to go back about 10 verses and get the background. Or here in church, we refer to it as the context. And I I think that's a weakness of church people is, is they will see a scripture they like and they'll grab it. And they will use that verse improperly. And, And so that's why... We continually here emphasize, if you're going to use a scripture, you need to know the context and you need to use that scripture properly. So let's get the context for this scripture about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And we're going to backtrack, rewind about 10 verses to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. And we're going to read the incident, the event that caused Jesus to issue a warning. Here it is. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? In other words, could this be the Messiah? Is this the son of God? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, That this fellow drives out demons. Now, let me do my very best to try to explain. This scripture tells about a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute. So, So try to picture in your mind, here's a man that he can't see, he can't talk, plus he's demon-possessed. Well, some people brought him to Jesus and and Jesus had compassion on him and and he performed a wonderful act of healing and he opened his blinded eyes. He, He loosed his mute tongue and this man began to see. He began to talk. And and as you can only imagine, people began to react and they began to say, Hallelujah, the Messiah has come. This is amazing. This is wonderful. And And many people rejoiced and praised God. But in every crowd are those people who are critical and cynical. And they can be in a wonderful service where where God is obviously moving and people are worshiping the Lord. And and maybe there are even some people that are coming to know Jesus Christ as, as, as their Savior. Yet these people, instead of enjoying God's presence... They pick out something negative and they begin to nitpick and they focus on that and they completely miss the fact that God was there in an amazing way and and they miss the opportunity to rejoice with those people who had come to know Jesus. Well, in that particular crowd in Matthew chapter 12, the cynical and the critical people happen to be Pharisees. And when Jesus performed this miracle, the the Pharisees saw firsthand how this blind and and mute man was now healed. Uh, 
I mean, it was obvious. They weren't denying the act of healing. But, but instead of rejoicing with them who were saying, praise be to God, hallelujah, they began to try to discredit Jesus. And here's what they said. Well, yes, he, he did open blinded eyes and he did loose his mute tongue. And, but, but they said, listen up, we're, we're going to tell you how, how, how this man did it. He performed this healing through the power of Beelzebub, the, the prince of demons. Now, when the Pharisees said that, that was the worst possible thing they could ever say about Jesus. Because who was Beelzebub? Well, Beelzebub was the name of a pagan god that the Phoenicians thought was the creator of life. And this is, this is gross, but you need to get the background here. And I'm sorry if you have a weak stomach. But the Phoenicians thought that Beelzebub was the creator of life because they happened to notice that when there was garbage or refuge or dung on the ground, after a few days there would be little worms or maggots that would come out of it. And in their limited understanding, that these pagans, these Phoenician pagans thought that life was being created in this filth and rottenness. And they, of course, didn't know that flies had come and laid microscopic eggs that would soon hatch into these maggots. They thought that this god of filth named Beelzebub had created life from the garbage. And again, I know this is kind of gross, but, but you need this information to fully comprehend what was going on in the scripture. So, so when the Pharisees said that Jesus healed this man in, in the name of Beelzebub, that was the worst insult they could ever throw at a Jew. And, and they were basically saying that, Jesus, you're in cahoots with the devil and you cast out this demon through demonic power through the god of filth the prince of demons and so it was that particular incident where these pharisees were cynical and and critical towards sacred things that led jesus to issue this warning to the pharisees about committing the unpardonable sin now with that background in mind, let me now try to unpack this lesson and, and tell you why I believe Jesus responded to those cynical Pharisees with such a stern warning. The, the, the first reason was because I believe what the Pharisees said was a sin against God's love. And again, let me try to explain this. If you study the life of Christ, you see that all Christ ever did was love people. He loved the sick. He loved the, the, the good. He loved the bad. He loved his enemies. And, and on that particular day, Jesus was showing his love by casting the demons out of this poor man and was helping him able to be able to see and talk. It was an amazing act of love to this man who had suffered more physically than most of us could ever imagine. He was blind. He couldn't talk. Understand how much this man had suffered. But on top of his physical suffering... Don't miss that this man had also been tormented spiritually because he had been demon-possessed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around any demon-possessed people. We don't, we don't see it too much in, in this country, at least in, in forms that we easily recognize. In other countries, third world countries, developing countries, that's much more common. And I've, I've witnessed some stuff that, that would almost make the hair on, on the back of, of, of your neck stand up. 
You know, the, the behavior of demon-possessed people sometimes is, is downright frightening and shows how much they are tormented. And I, I remember I was speaking in a service in, a, in, a, in another country one time. It was in a, in a little jungle community. And, and uh, it seemed like every time I would mention the name of Jesus when I was preaching, there was a man at the very back. And, and I remember distinctly, he would stand up and twirl around and make a ruckus in the service and sit down. And it, it just showed how much... He was being spiritually tormented. But, but Jesus, in an act of love, he healed this man completely. He could now see. He could now talk. He had been delivered from the demons. Which if that would happen here on a Sunday morning, what, we, we, what would we do? We would rejoice and, and we would thank God and we would be shouting hallelujah. Because this poor man who had suffered so much physically and had been tormented so much spiritually, he was healed. He was whole. And you would think that everybody in that crowd would have been rejoicing, but not so. It made those Pharisees furious. It just shows how warped they were. But what's so amazing is that despite the critical attitudes of the Pharisees, Jesus still loved them. And and I promise you, I promise you that he would have gladly blessed and healed those cynical Pharisees as well. But, But they refused his love and... Catch this. They refused his love. Did you catch it? They refused his love. You know, we've all heard of people who have said, well, if God were truly a God of love, then he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Well, first of all, nobody has to go to hell. God has made provision for whosoever will. But if you do go to hell, you will have to climb over the love of God. In fact, God loves you so much that His love will follow you to the very brink of hell. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Would you say amen? Let me illustrate it this way. This is kind of a crude illustration, but I think it will maybe get the point across. Suppose you get sick and you go to see the doctor and he examines you and he's got a very serious look on his face. And and he says, uh, you have a very serious illness. You're going to die. And you say, Doc... Isn't there something you can do? And, and the doctor says, well, 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 there's only one hope. That there's a, there's a medicine that can save your life, but that medicine costs a million dollars and it has to be paid up front. No credit. And you beg the doctor and say, Doc, please don't let me die. Can, can't you do something? Can't you pull some strings? And, and I promise you I'll do my best to try to pay it back eventually. And, and the doctor says, give me a few days and I'll see what I can do. And then a few days later he calls you and he says, I'm coming to visit you at your house. And... And when he comes into your house, you're shocked. He doesn't look like the man that you saw a few days ago. His face is unshaven. His eyes have dark circles under them. His clothes are bloody. His hands are trembling. But as he comes to your bedside, he has a vial of medicine. You look at him and you say, Doc, what happened? He says, do you see these clothes? Do you see this blood? Let me tell you what happened. I went out to get this medicine for you, and I borrowed money from every source I could think of. I used my last dime. I took it out of savings, and, and I bought this medicine. And on my way here, I was in such a hurry because I wanted you to live. And On my way here, I wrecked my car, and with me in my car was my son, my only son. And with tears, he says, my son died in that accident. And the blood that stains my clothes is the blood of my own dear son. But here's the medicine. I got it for you. Take it. You'll live. But but just know that it was purchased with a terrible price. 
Suppose that you take that medicine in your hand and you hold it up. You look at the doctor and you look at the medicine again and then just in a fit of rage you throw down that vial of medicine. And the medicine just pours out never to be retrieved again. And then you say, Doc, if I die, it'll be your fault. Of course, that would be unthinkable. But when it comes to our eternal destiny, destiny, that's in essence what many people are doing. We're refusing the love of Jesus. We need to understand that nobody here will ever be able to point a finger of accusation into the face of Jesus and say, Jesus, if I go to hell, it's your fault. No, because God sent his only son to die for you and you can be saved. And so the unpardonable sin is when we look at a loving God who wants to save us, but yet we choose to ignore and reject his love. Secondly, the unpardonable sin is a sin against knowledge. Now, these Pharisees were not ignorant fools. They were very educated religiously. And let me tell you about people who are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. Most of them are people who know the truth. They know what's right. They know what they should be doing. But they come up with all kinds of flimsy excuses why they don't want to serve Jesus. And of course, one of the favorite things that people say is, Well, I'm not a Christian because there are so many hypocrites in the church. Now, now pardon me, but that's ignorant. That's ignorant. There are a few doctors that are quacks. But if you get sick, you still go to the doctor, don't you? There are some attorneys that are shysters, but when you need legal advice, you go find a lawyer. And then whoever does the cooking in your home, and I'll just tell you up front, it's not me in my home. But sometimes you break open an egg and it's rotten. But you don't boycott eggs the rest of your life, do you? You know, there's also some counterfeit money in circulation, but you don't burn all of your money because of a few counterfeit bills, do you? Do you see what I'm saying? This whole reason of a reasoning of, well, I don't serve God because of hypocrites, that reasoning is not very smart. But people use that type of reasoning to excuse themselves for not doing what they know they should do. We've also heard of people who have said, well, I don't go to church now because my mama forced me to go when I was a little boy. Well, I bet his mama forced him to take a bath when he was a little boy too. And, and then sometimes, and, and this is really ignorant, people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because there's so much I would have to give up. Do you know the only things that God asks you to give up are those things that will hurt you? If it is good and godly, helpful, healthy, God says, help yourself. But if it's something that's going to hurt you, God says, don't do it. But for that person who's, that, that, that says, well, there's just too much to give up would be like saying, well, I'd like to be healed, but, you know, I just kind of hate to give up my cancer. And that's the type of ridiculous reasoning of, uh, of these Pharisees that, that were in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. They knew better. that Their sin was a sin against knowledge. They knew better. Well, thirdly, we see that it was also a sin of rejection. 
And I want you to pay attention because we're getting to the nitty-gritty of what the unpardonable sin is. Verse 32, we, we read it, but let me read it again. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So, what's interesting is we can speak, we can blaspheme against Jesus and be forgiven, but not against the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us understand who Jesus really is. When we come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that He's the Savior of the world, the only hope of the world, do you know why we've been able to understand that? It's because the Holy Spirit has revealed that to us. And so when we continually reject and disobey, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit will cease to speak to us. And, and we need to make sure that we understand that, that we, we can't just resist God and kind of hold Him at arm's length and kind of flirt with Him a little bit. And then when we're good and ready, we can just whistle and say, Okay, I'm ready. Come and save me now, Lord. The Bible says in John 6, We cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws us to Him. And if we continually reject the Spirit, we're not guaranteed that He will always draw us to Him. You know, Wednesday in my office, I was just really chewing on this. This is such a heavy subject, and I was, I was reviewing Romans chapter 1. And the, the, the last part of the chapter gives us kind of a snapshot of America today. Um, and three times in, in just a matter of a few verses, we read in some form the statement that there were those who knew God, but they would not worship Him. And then three times in the same passage, it says, and, and taking it out of the King James Version, it says, it says, and God gave them up. So they knew God, but they would not worship Him. And then it says, God gave them up, and God gave them up, and God gave them over. In fact, listen to a couple of these verses here in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Yes, they knew God. So understand that. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. So they knew God, but they chose not to worship Him. What happened? They became confused. Uh, four verses later in Romans one twenty-five, Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God. So here they know the truth about God. It says they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worshiped the things God made. But not the creator himself. So they knew the truth about God. What did they do? They began to worship created things. Not the Creator. You know, that, that's kind of what's going through America right now. You know, worshiping things. There's one more scripture here, Romans chapter 1, verse 28. When they refused to acknowledge God. So that was a decision. It involves a decision. They refused to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. 
Verse 29, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. And then skipping on to verse 30, they are forever inventing new ways of sinning. That's kind of what's going on today, isn't it? Every once in a while you hear uh, a, a new way to sin. They chose not to acknowledge God. He abandoned him, them. And they became full of every kind of wickedness and began inventing new ways to sin. And don't forget here that talking about people who knew God, they knew God, they knew about his love, that they knew about his grace, they knew about his salvation, but they refused to worship him. And so God gave them up. Or in other words, God turned his back on them. And again, I was just thinking about this. Where do you think the worst sin is committed? I don't believe it's in the meth house. I don't believe it's in a house of ill repute or a house of prostitution or wherever. I don't believe it's in a party atmosphere. I believe that the worst sin in the world is more often committed in a service like this. Where people know the truth. They listen to the truth, but they refuse and they reject Jesus. Now, what happens when a person commits this unpardonable sin? Very quickly, three things, and I'm going to be finished here. And I don't claim to have a corner. I'm not claiming that I know everything about this sin. But here, I believe, are, are, are three things that will happen. First of all, the gospel won't sink in. I know that's a hillbilly way of saying it. You know, the gospel just won't penetrate. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2, that they will have eyes, but they will not see. They will have ears. They won't hear. In other words, you can listen to a message that is anointed. You will hear the words, but it will not sink in. You can read the scripture and see, see scripture with your own eyes, but it will go right over the top of you. You can listen to a song, a special song that is anointed and God's spirit is all over it. It will not penetrate you. And instead of sensing God's presence, people will be like the Pharisees, completely miss an opportunity to rejoice over God's mercy and grace. The second thing that will happen, you will believe a lie. We read that in Romans. And also in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, for this reason, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And let me kind of give you the process how this happen, can happen. Someone can go to church and our church or any, any other church that teaches the word. And, and maybe the pastor stands up and preaches from the Bible and the spirit of God is there. And, and a person gets under conviction and, but doesn't obey God. And pretty soon he begins to develop a critical spirit. And maybe he says, I don't like all of those hypocrites there. Or I don't like the fact that the service is too loud. I don't like the style of music. And, and you know what happens in church? A lot of times we make it about pleasing us instead of pleasing God and you missed a great time to just shout hallelujah there but and if this person is not careful they will become so critical and become so cynical and God's spirit won't be able to penetrate the negativity and and they will become a pawn in Satan's hands and and will find themselves disenchanted with everything spiritual and, and without realizing that they've become another victim of Satan They've gotten their eyes off of God onto things and people. Thirdly, you will be left alone. And, and I got this from Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. 
You know, there's a point where God says it will do no good to try to draw that person to himself. And so he says, leave him alone. Now, as we wrap it up, you may say, well, pastor, is there any chance that I might have committed the unpardonable sin? Well, this is where I want to be an encouragement to you this morning. If if you're afraid that you've committed the unpardonable sin, most likely you haven't. And I want to ease your mind. I want to encourage you. But those who have committed the unpardonable sin generally have hardened their hearts time and time and time again. That they've resisted. They've been cynical. They've been critical of sacred things to the point to where most of the time they don't feel a sense of God's presence anymore. So if you have a desire to find God... The Spirit probably hasn't left you. He's, he's working in your life. And I, I was just thinking about this as I was studying for, uh, for today. In the Bible, especially in the ministry of Christ, Christ, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, anybody ever came wanting spiritual help, you know what happened? Jesus gave it to them. And so if you have a desire to get right with God, then God's Spirit is probably still with you. But if we resist him time and time again, you know, the, the warning is we do risk offending the Holy Spirit. And I'm not here to just, you know, scare you. That, that, that's not it. And I pray that it would not come across that way. But I do think that sometimes, you know, I, I could tell you some scary stories and I, I don't want to do that because I, I don't want it to be that type of atmosphere here this morning. But, you know, we, we've all seen people who have come and come to church and been under conviction and weep and refuse to take those steps towards God and then they begin to have go through the service dry eyed and pretty soon they disappear and I don't know if God has left them or they've just hardened their hearts so much so here's the bottom line Can can, can I just summarize everything I've tried to say in the last 30, 40 minutes? And let me just say this. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you believe that this is God's holy and inspired Word, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, and, and if you can hear the Spirit telling you to come to Jesus... I beg of you, don't walk out of here without completely obeying Christ. And really, the best words of encouragement are found in Revelation 3.20. And many of you will recognize this verse. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so I believe the good news is that Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts and he's knocking He's being patient with us. And if you hear his voice, why don't you just open the door and say, come in, Jesus. Welcome. Welcome. Now, this morning, as we wrap this up, I, you know, I, I don't feel led to really just give a, a long appeal, but I, I would just go to just appeal to our, our, our heads and our hearts. If there's disobedience in your life, if you're one of those that says, yeah, I'm doing this, I know I shouldn't, just stop right there. 
And why don't you take this day and just say, God, I'm not going to resist you any longer. I'm going to open my heart to you. Would you come in? And if you'll do that, let, let me just promise you that if we will draw near to God, He will draw nigh unto us. And we will find whenever we begin reaching up with our, our hand of faith, and He reaches down with His hand of grace, and we grab on there, we latch together, that's when God can pull us up out of the pit of sin. And we can find Him today. So, this morning, I know this has been a very heavy, heavy topic, and it probably hasn't been real fun to, to listen to, and sure wasn't fun to prepare, but if, if there is anyone in disobedience today, would you just, right now, just say, God, I give you that area of disobedience. Forgive me. I give it to you. If it's a substance, if, if it's a, uh, a sexual sin, if it's unforgiveness, whatever it is, would you just say, God, here, here it is. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And again, we're not going to give a long appeal. I don't feel like we really need to today. But maybe there's someone that wants to come and just say, God, here I am. And this doesn't mean that you're close to committing the unpardonable sin. Now, if you come forward, we're not going to think that of you. It's just that maybe God has spoken to you and you want to be faithful. You want to be sensitive and just give it to Christ right now. If you want to come, I'd love to have some people gather around you. And could we have a couple of guys that would just come pray with this one? Maybe there's someone else that just feels the pull of the Spirit. You're in disobedience. And, and you want to take care of some things with God right now. Maybe it's an attitude. You know, probably most of the time our, our sins are not necessarily sins of action, but they're sins of attitude. And is there somebody else that you would like to come and just seek God? At this church, if you're new and you're wondering what we'll do, we don't ask you to confess your sins to us or make you stand up or say anything. We're not here to embarrass you. We just want to just see you receive some help. Anyone else you want to come and you want to find Christ or maybe rededicate yourself. Maybe you've been living just without really making a stand for Christ. And this would be a wonderful opportunity to say, today is the day I'm going to make a stand for Him. Anyone? Father, just as we're... As your Holy Spirit is doing a work, I just pray that you would help us to obey you. Lord, that there wouldn't be anybody that would leave with unfinished business. But Lord, I pray that today there would just be that sense of obedience, whatever it is, that we would not resist, but that we would just obey. I pray this in your name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there anybody that would just say, Pastor, would you pray for me? God has really spoken to me. And I, with His help, I'm going to make some changes in my life with God's grace. Anybody? Thank you. I see your hand. Praise God. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank God. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? With God's help, I'm going to make some changes in my life. Not because of me, but because of Him. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Just before we, we pray, is there anybody else that you would like to come forward? You feel God really pulling at you. And maybe you would just want to grab the hand of the person right by you and say, would you go pray with me? I don't have the courage to go by myself, but would you go with me? Anybody just 
quickly here. If God is tugging at you, why don't you just go ahead and obey him right now? Father, I thank you for the obedience of these that have come. And Lord, I just pray that you would help them to make those adjustments in their lives. And Lord, it's not necessarily by trying harder, but it's through your grace and through your power. And Father, I pray for those that lifted hands. Many hands were raised. And Lord, you know what they're dealing with. You know, you know the things that you've convicted them of. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help them to, to be able to make those changes. And Lord, that we would live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. And God, I ask that as we go throughout the week, we know that it's, it's so tough sometimes to live a holy life. But God, it's not by trying harder, but it's by your spirit. Lord, if there's anybody here that is in danger of maybe searing their conscience. And I don't think there would be a lot of people, but there may be, there may be a couple people here that have been resisting and, and they know the truth. They know what is right, but yet they still continue to do what is wrong. I pray that this week would be the week that they would make changes through your grace and through your blood. And so, Lord, here we are, your people, in need of a Savior in need of someone to help us through the day, in need of a spirit that will speak to us, walk with us, and talk with us. And thank you for being so faithful to us. We pray these favors in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Just direct your attention up here before you go. If any of you would like to pray, this week, you didn't have the courage to come. Maybe you need to spend some time just talking with a staff member. Make sure that you contact us. We'd love to meet with you and, and pray with you. Thank you so much for coming. And let, let's uh, make sure that we're respectful of these that are praying here. And uh, let's not be too noisy here in the worship center. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.